On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Welcome in. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I'm Dominic Catronio. Pitchers and catchers have arrived to spring training. It is report day. It's just a glorified unpack your suitcase day. Tomorrow we'll actually see guys on the field playing catch, PFPs, all the good stuff as spring training has officially begun for your Milwaukee Brewers. I'm Dominic Catronio. I will be down there personally starting on Monday, bringing you all of the coverage here on WTFJ and on my personal Twitter at Dom underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. So you can keep an eye out for all the coverage, videos, photos, uh, takes, interviews, things of that nature across WTMJ and on my social media handles. With that said, uh, today, not not much to report from, from camp as not much really, you know, like I said, it's a glorified unpacking day. But the other thing to note here at the top of the show is if you're listening in podcast form, no big deal to you. You're used to this. For those listening live right now on WTMJ, today's show is pre-recorded given it is Valentine's Day. My girlfriend wanted to make sure that, hey, you're about to disappear for a month and a half, so you should knock out the recording earlier tonight. I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. So here we are, uh, Valentine's Day. Everything is recording as of 1 o'clock this afternoon. So if Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery or Cody Bellinger signed by the time that this is airing at 8 o'clock tonight, well, hang with them. We'll talk more about it next week from Arizona. I'm going to start things out with some projections. We're going to talk about Picota, what Baseball Perspective does, and we're also going to do uh, fan graphs projections as well. And today's just going to be pitching and catching themed. You know, in this latter half of this show, we're going to talk about the starting rotation, the bullpen, and about the catchers. So we're just going to kind of look at a taking stock of what's going on position player-wise uh, behind the plate, and then arms-wise, we talked about it with the bullpen last week, but maybe a little more specific of who to look out for and what to be uh, ready for once games actually begin a week from Saturday down in Arizona. Let's start with Pakoda. And if you're wondering what the heck is Pakoda, it's a bunch of word salad that is an, it's an uh, acronym for Player Empirical Comparison and Optimism. Op- can't even say it right. Player Empirical Comparison and Optimization Test Algorithm. Yeah, they, they, they wrote that. But hey, I love baseball perspectives. I think they do great work. I can't even spit it out. So that is Pakoda. It rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. It is a projection. Everyone has their own style of what they weigh more and things of that nature. I won't get into the minutia of all of this, but let's start with what you're most interested in. What does it think about the Central and what does it think about the Brew Crew? It doesn't know what to make of the Central, just like anybody else right now. And Picota is extremely bullish on the winner of the division. In fact, as of right now, in this projection, and the beauty of Picota is it updates with roster moves. So this is as of this morning with the most current rosters and everything that it has at its disposal. Picota is projecting that the NL Central division winner is going to have the fewest wins of division winners in all of baseball. 85 wins to the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, they're saying the Minnesota Twins are going to run away with the Central in the AL side of things with 89 wins. Uh, I'm going to backtrack on that in a little bit, but let's start with what the Central projects to be. The Cardinals winning the division at 85 wins. Chicago with 80 wins, so under 500. The Brewers with 79 
the Reds with 78, and then the Pirates with 73. So a bit of a logjam there. And another note about this, I know I just talked about the fact that it's going to be the fewest wins projected by Pakoda for any division winner. It also has the second most wins of a last place team. They're the only division aside from the AL East, which is to be expected, the only division aside from the AL East to not have the last place team projected at 69 losses or fewer, you know, to have at least a seven or 69 wins or fewer, I should say. So 70 or more wins from the last place team. You, you look at everyone else in baseball, there is a bona fide tanking team aside from the AL East, but granted the Red Sox are not tanking. They're just not competing. They're still projected to finish under 500, but the White Sox in the central, the A's in the West, the Rockies in the West, uh, the Nationals in the East. Pittsburgh, they're not great, but they're not awful. You can see the pieces starting to form together between Hayes and Reynolds, uh, Mitch Keller, and we've talked about Paul Skeens being on the way. Pittsburgh is not a bottom feeder anymore. They are on the upswing. And I have staked my boat to saying that the Reds should be considered the favorites of the division. I understand why people are still fans of St. Louis, given the star power there, signing Sonny Gray, a healthy Arenado, another year of Goldschmidt should get better. I'm still bullish on them, and I'm very surprised that only one team is projected to be over 500 in the NL Central. And we talked about it in last week's show, that like 88 sounds like the number to win the division, and Pakota says, oh, that would blow away the division. So there's, there's your goal as of now. You also get playoff odds with Pakota's uh, projections. And it's giving the Cardinals a 62% chance to make the playoffs. But this is where it gets interesting. They're a little less than a coin flip to win the division at 48%. When you look at the rest of baseball, those are the worst odds to win a division. Now, the Yankees are at 56% to win their division, but then it drops off dramatically to the Blue Jays and to the Rays as they kind of split the vote there, and then Baltimore is only at 11%, which I found shocking as well. But we're talking about the Central right now. I I really find it surprising that, you know, if if they're a 62% chance to make the playoffs, 48% chance to win the division, you know, they're not going to win the wildcard. We we established that last week. I would be flabbergasted if the NL Central has one of the wildcard teams coming out of it this year, given what Philadelphia has continued to do, what Arizona and San Diego have reloaded to do. Now San Francisco's lineup is sneaky good by adding Jorge Soler. I just don't see a third wild card, you know, that last spot in the playoffs coming from the NL Central. I've been wrong many times before. It would be cool if I'm wrong here again with the Brewers winning division. But it still gives the Brewers a 27% chance to make the playoffs and yet a 16% chance to win the division, third place in the division as they're projected right now. I sit here and I look at Chicago's projection as with a, a minus 12 run differential, which I can agree with. I, I still think they're short on their pitching staff. I know they've added to their bullpen, but they, they have, aside from Justin Steele and Shota Imanaga, I, there's not much I trust in that starting rotation. I know Kyle Hendricks is back, but... You know, I hope his shoulders still together kind of thing. And there are plenty of questions about the Brewers' rotation as well. That's a fair criticism. It also says that the Brewers are going to score the fewest runs, according to Pakoda, in the division. Which is fascinating to me because the Brewers have done the most to add to their offense right now. You think of Yelich, Hoskins, Sanchez, 
Adamas maybe having a bounce back. Churio arriving. Maybe a full year of Mitchell. Maybe uh, Joey Ortiz and Tyler Black. I would, I'm kind of surprised that it projects the Brewers to have fewer runs than the Pittsburgh Pirates. I, I find that very surprising. So that's something I'm circling right now to, to come back and make sure we uh, take an eye on that later on in the season on how things are going. I think it's undervaluing the offense. If I go down the list here, uh, our friends at The Athletic, Derek Van Riper, Brewers fan, local, talking about the Goldilocks method. Is it too little, too much, just right when it comes to these projections? I think St. Louis is just right. I think 85 is just about right. 80 for Chicago, It, it again, after this claim, are they going to sign anybody? Are they going to sign Bellinger? Are they going to sign Montgomery? Are they going to sign Snell? As of now, I think that's just about right as well. 80 wins. I think they're too low on Milwaukee at 79. I could be biased. I think Milwaukee is right around a 500 team right now. Maybe something happens in the division. Maybe guys outperform their expectations, which is something I would certainly look forward to. I think Cincinnati is way too low. I think they're definitely an above 500 team. Granted, there are questions about their pitching staff. I understand, but their goal is going to be to mash and hit more runs than get more runs than you. Pittsburgh, I think, is just right. Maybe a little low. I had them right around. They won 75 games a year ago. I. Who's to say they can't do it again this year? And that was with a terrible St. Louis team. So maybe that's what Picota is projecting in here. And in case you're wondering who it projects to have the best World Series odds, no surprise here, the Dodgers and the Braves equal in World Series odds at 19%. That's my look at Picota. Let's go ahead and have a counter view at it. Let's look at Fangraph's projections coming up next. Again, this is a recorded show of Brewers Weekly this week, so no text line, no call-ins this week. I'll get to all this stuff. We'll be live throughout spring training coming up starting next week, but let's talk about the Fangraphs projections. What do they think of the NL Central? That's up next here on Brewers Weekly. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. Korski, who created Zips for Fangraphs and some other teams that use that model as well, he also was able to put out standings projections just like we've been talking about with Pakoda. So what does Fangraphs think of the NL Central? Similar to Pakoda, think it's going to be all over the place. Kind of a, a wild, wild west situation, even though it's the Central. But similarly bullish on the Brewers. They project the Brewers as just below 500 at 80 and 82. And this projections includes the departure of Corbin Burns. Keep that in mind. Again, same thing, current rosters, things of that nature, waiting on what's going to happen with these remaining free agents. Fangraphs projects the Central to go like this. The Cardinals to win the division at 83 wins. The Cubs at 500 at 81 and 81. The Brewers one game back at 80 and 82, with the Reds also at 80 and 82. And then the Pirates improving up to 77 Wins And I thought the playoff odds were very interesting here, that the playoff odds for everyone down ballot, if you will, the Cubs, the Brewers, and the Reds, was better than it was in Pakota. Granted, it's giving the Cardinals a slightly better playoff chance than Pakota. So it's giving the Brewers still a 34% chance to make the playoffs. It was 27% in Pakota. So again, a 1-3 in chance, essentially, to make the playoffs according to the fan graphs. These are all projections. I'm just the messenger. Don't come at me with this stuff. But it's giving a wide open race for the division. This is what I really wanted to dive into here. We talked about the Pakoda saying that 
it's a coin flip for St. Louis, essentially, at 48% to win the division. Zips does not see it that way at all. They're only giving the Cardinals a 1-3 in chance to win the division. And they're only giving them a coin flip to make the playoffs at 49%. It is wide open, according to Zips. Cubs at 24%, Brewers at 21% to win the division. To reiterate, that's how I see the Central getting a team in the playoffs. I don't think it's going to be multiple teams. This is, I think, more along the lines of how it's going to go. I think it's going to be a lot of teams around 500. I know I just said that the Goldilocks method, if you will, of saying, oh, Pakota's too low on this team, too low on this team, just right on this team. I think, as I reiterate, 88 wins is seeming like going to win this division. 85 wins might win this division. But it's going to take, in my opinion, a one-week stretch, maybe even a two-week stretch, where you go, let's say, 9-2 and two in August, okay, right after the trade deadline, as everything has, has settled down. That's going to take hold of this division, and things start to take shape for the Brewers. I do think, I said it all last last year in... It wasn't true in a good fashion that I thought it was going to come down to the final week of the season, you know, with those last three games against the Cubs and then also the Cardinals series as well. I still think it's going to matter for the division. I don't know if it's going to matter for the Brewers. We will see. But let me just give you the last two and a half weeks of games. You know what? Better yet, let me just give you the last weekend of August into September for the Brewers, okay? They're at home for the Giants midweek, the last week of August, in Cincinnati the final weekend of August into September. Then they're home for the Cardinals. Then they go to the Rockies. Or excuse me, host the Rockies for the first weekend of September. Then they go to the Giants and go to the Diamondbacks for their last West Coast trip of the year. They return home for the Phillies, home for the Diamondbacks. They go to Pittsburgh, and then they host the Mets to end the year, to bookend it as they open the year in New York, and they will end the year at home against New York. Based on the projections, as I look at things right now, I mean, that's what? Two sub-500 teams? You can say with certainty? The Rockies and the Pirates? Depends on what's going to happen with the division, with the Giants, and with the Reds, and how much everyone else beats up on them. That's a tough September, as it looks right now. Between the Cardinals, the Giants, the Diamondbacks twice... The Phillies and the Mets. You won't see the Cubs in the final month of the season. You get one last crack at the Cardinals the first week of September, then you're done. It is out of your own hands. In fact, you're done with the Cubs the week after the All-Star break. You won't see them again. You go to Wrigley July 22nd to 24th, and that's it. Very different than what we've seen the last two years where the Brewers have been able to control their own fate and figure out, okay, well, if we win these games, that's three games that we can handle and move on. They don't face much of the Central in the final month of the year. So just keep that in mind as you're looking ahead. The last Brewers opponent in the Central at home is the Cardinals on September 4th. Then they've got three more games against the Central, and that's the Pirates in Pittsburgh the final week of the season. Just keep that in mind. There's not a lot head-to-head with with the Central at the end of the year. So it's going to be very important to get out to a good start. And we talked about the Willie Adamas trade rumors last, last episode and how you're going to have to deal with that all year.
Fangraphs, I tend to lean to Fangraphs. I've told you over and over how much I love Fangraphs' work and how much I read it personally. And, and reading their projections for the rest of the National League, surprise, surprise, they like the Dodgers. Uh, they like the Braves. No shocker there. Uh, they're giving the Braves only 95 wins, though. I think that's not right. I think they're a 100-win team, but it's so hard to project a 100-win team. I mean, they're only giving the Dodgers 93 wins for all I care. So that's certainly to be taken with a grain of salt. But I think the Dodgers having only 93, in, 93 wins is a reflection on the rest of that division. The Diamondbacks have gotten better. The Giants have marginally gotten better. They've definitely gotten better offense. The Padres, I don't know about their pitching staff, but they've still got Machado. They've still got Tatis. They've still got Darvish. They've still got some talent there. And the Rockies are the Rockies. But then this Central is just a smashed sandwich of everyone's kind of like in the same boat. Like, well, they could you, you could talk yourself into every single team in this division. Yeah, if they go, yeah. I mean, the Pirates were in first place after April last year. And then they obviously came back down to earth. But... You can see the building blocks with Pittsburgh. They are not a doormat anymore. Every team in this division is going to be competitive. Now, am I going to say they're all playoff teams? No, absolutely not. But they're all competitive. And that should make for an entertaining season. That's the Zips projections. That's Pagoda. That's a lot of, you know, projecting of like, all right, let's speculate. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's see what the computer tells. All right, let's actually talk about the team. Let's talk about who's here. Let's talk about pitchers and catchers arriving to Maryvale in Phoenix today. So hope to see you guys out there as well. We'll talk more about Arizona coming up next. Again, a recorded version of Brewers Weekly here today on Valentine's Day. Back with more after this on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm Dominic Catronio. Brewers Weekly recorded this week over the airwaves. We're also available in podcast form. Brewers All Access is the feed to subscribe to, especially with what we've got cooking this spring training to get you fired up for baseball season. Let's start with, the. I got a question on Twitter. Of like, What's the holdup with the Gary Sanchez deal? Why hasn't there been a corresponding move yet? Uh, that's a good question. But part of it is, and again, it hasn't been announced yet today, and this is as of 1 o'clock, a little after 1 o'clock this afternoon as I'm recording this, that the Brewers have not moved anybody to a 60-day IL yet. As In fact, as I'm reading my email, the Brewers officially traded uh, Clayton Andrews to the Yankees. Now, that was he was already DFA'd last week to make room for Jacob Junis. So there is still one more move to make to get Gary Sanchez onto the roster, but the trade that the Brewers made was signing Joshua Quezada from the Yankees in exchange for Clayton Andrews. He was a non-drafted free agent signed as a 19-year-old on January 16th of last year. Uh, he went 6-0 and in the DSL. He's 19 years old. He's from Nicaragua, so that's pretty fun, as uh, Andrews is on his way to New York, or rather to uh, Tampa, to join George Steinbrenner field down there as uh, the trade has now been made official. Of course, Quezada not on the 40-man roster, but there's still one more move to be made for Gary Sanchez. But one thing that they can do today, starting today, the 60-day IL is open again starting today. Once pitchers and catchers report to spring training, that is the first day you are allowed to use the 60-day IL. Why is that significant, you may ask? It's because that takes a spot 
off the 40-man roster. So if you place somebody on the 60-day IL, they are not active on the 40-man roster against your account. They're obviously still in your organization, but because they have to spend at least 60 days on the IL once opening day arrives, they do not need to be counted for on your 40-man roster. So, not to, you know, get negative here, but that's always a possibility. You know, you've got a guy recovering from Tommy John surgery and Joe Ross. You've got Aaron Ashby's concerns with his arm and everything that he went through last year as well. Uh, You've got very few candidates instantly off the top of my head that could go on to the 60-day IL unless there's something we do not know yet that could change. Uh, a, A guy like Bradley Blaylock, who was added to the 40-man for the uh, Rule 5 protection. He only appeared in four games in the Brewers system last year, so he could be somebody if they don't feel he's going to be ready, but I won't speculate on that until I have my boots on the ground in Arizona on that. So that leads me into talking more about the pitching as we wait for that 40-man corresponding move to get Gary Sanchez signed. But let's start with the starting rotation, as this is going to be the hot topic Throughout spring training, who who's going to file in behind everybody else? You know, Freddie's your opening day starter. We know that, even though it hasn't been announced and it won't be announced until it needs to be announced, unless something changes. Wade Miley, maybe he's your two. Maybe you put DL Hall there as a two. Maybe you put Jacob Junis there as a two. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's not Brendan Woodruff and it's not Corbin Burns. So let's make this here as pitchers and catchers reporting. Let's. Close the chapter of the the Burns-Woodruff three-headed monster with Peralta era and into this new transition. You know, this is moving the plot along here. We're trying to figure out, if we're reading a novel, we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next. So this is a very key chapter of, okay, position battle, starting rotation. Some of the candidates that are going to be involved in this, of course, Wade Miley is going to be in it as long as he's healthy. Jacob Junis, Colin Ray, D.L. Hall. Joe Ross, Robert Gasser, uh, Jansen Junk, Aaron Ashby, all of those guys instantly come to mind. They're all but uh, Gasser are on the 40-man roster. Uh, we'll see a little bit of Jacob Mizorowski. I, I mean, he's not going to make the club out of spring training, but we'll probably see him for a little bit uh, in the beginning portions of the season once guys are slowly getting stretched out. I'm one guy I'm really excited to see. I don't think he's going to pitch for the Brewers this year, but he should be in the rotation conversation in 2025 is Carlos Rodriguez. I feel like there's not a lot of pub out there on him. Uh, pitched in the World Baseball Classic last year. Uh, he doesn't need to be put on the 40-man until next year for Rule 5 protection. So I imagine that's going to be one of the main moves this offseason. But those are just a few of the names to keep an eye on here in this uh, spring training roster battles and things of that nature. I'm And Freddie arrived to spring training early. He was already playing catch, according to his Instagram, as early as the first week of February. Uh, I don't think he's going to get the ball next Saturday, the 24th, the first spring training game. Uh, that is the Brewers going to be opening up uh, on the road in Peoria against the Padres. Their first home game in American Family Fields of Phoenix is against the Rockies. That is on Sunday. And then that will lead us into an elevated week of coverage of the first full week of games where we'll have plenty more to talk about this, planning on talking to Freddie, planning on talking to Wade, Chris Hook, everybody to try to make sure we understand what's about to happen in the months, the month ahead, I should say, in the weeks ahead of 
building guys up, understanding there's depth, but making sure you can make it through a 162-game season with so many options to choose from and how they envision that going. I think the number one question I have about the starting rotation, how many guys, realistically here, how many guys are going to be allowed to get through six innings? Honestly, Freddie and Wade, but they were very careful with Wade last season given the elbow issues he faced. I worry about how many five and dives you could have. Are they going to let D.L. Hall loose? Are they going to let Colin Ray actually face a third time through the order, which he rarely did last season? Is Jacob Junis going to see a third time through the order? He He's a full year removed from being a traditional starting pitcher. He was mostly out of the bullpen last year for the Giants. There are a lot of arm questions I have of, okay, if you're going to rely on your bullpen, you're going to gas them by August. And I want to make sure that the Brewers, you know, have trust or learn, not make sure, learn who the Brewers trust to have to get that, you know, sixth inning or at least get a couple outs in the seventh inning before they hand it off to their bullpen if they so choose. Because we saw it last year with Yoel Piams. This will lead me into the bullpen conversation next segment. We saw it last year with Yoel Piams just blowing by all of his career highs in usage and ran out of gas in September. And who's to say that can't happen again if you're going to really lean on a lot of this bullpen this year as it currently projects right now. But these are things to learn when we arrive in Arizona. So that'll lead me into some bullpen conversation. That's coming up next. These are just some of the questions I have openly allowed that I'm going to be asking Chris Hook and Pat Murphy and Matt Arnold coming up in spring training. So stick with us. Let's let's start previewing the bullpen here. Let's you know We talked about last week the 18 guys for 13 spots total. Let's try to define some roles. That's next, coming up here, Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. WTMJ. Hi again, Dominic Catronio. Let's continue our pitching conversation with the relievers. But one more name I forgot to mention here on this recorded edition of Brewers Weekly. One name I forgot to mention, Tobias Myers. Uh, he he made 27 appearances, 26 of them starts last season in his first year in the Brewers organization. Uh, he was originally uh, a Baltimore Orioles draft pick way back in 2016 out of high school, a sixth rounder. He's 25 years old now. In 27 games in AA last year, 137 innings, he had a strikeout rate that was nearly 11 per nine. And the walks were under control, under three walks per nine innings. He gave up a few homers. That's that's something to keep an eye out for. But I, I, I want to see if the, the strikeouts keep coming for Tobias Myers because that's he's not on the 40-man. He's a non-roster invitee. He's going to try to fill some innings here in the first few weeks of spring training, then probably go down the minor league camp. But something, uh, just a guy to have in the back of your mind. And, you know, remember when Jansen Junk made that spot start in Arizona? I don't see him being added to the 40-man roster. There's no need to add uh, a Tobias Myers immediately to the roster right now, but just just somebody to keep in mind because he put up some really good numbers in AA. Maybe he pops up at some point this year in AAA, and if he pitches well there, we could see something uh, happen there. And he only pitched in uh, three innings in AAA last year. He appeared in two games. He struck out seven batters. He got nine outs. Seven of them were strikeouts. So maybe they're starting to convert him into a reliever. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye, my eye on Tobias Myers when we get down to spring training. 
now to the relievers. We talked a lot about relievers, so I'm not going to talk long this week on relievers. Talked a lot about relievers last week and all the locks and guys that I expect and things of that nature. So when it comes to the five and dive and the, and the pairing of, and if you're not familiar with the term five and dive, it means starting pitcher goes five innings, then he's done, and you get your bullpen going the rest of the way. You know, are are, are you going to put Bryce Wilson, Taylor Clark, and let's say Brian Hudson, you know, and or maybe Joe Ross if he's going to be starting or if he's going to be in the relieving role. Are are you putting those guys in in a four four game in the sixth inning to give me one inning or two, depending on where you are in the lineup, and then hand the ball over to Oribe or Milner in the seventh inning, and then Piomps or McGill in the eighth, and then Williams for the ninth. Now, things are interchangeable, obviously, in that bullpen, where I, I see six through eight sort of being whoever you want. Now, I know Craig Council loved to use lanes and pick his spots and say, okay, Yoel, you are my eighth inning guy, or Hobie, you are my left on left, but you can get righties out, so I trust you, or uh, Abner, I want you to have the seventh. I don't know if it's going to be as structured this year, but that's not a bad thing because there is so much depth back there and guys to choose from. You know, both Uribe and McGill with their 100 mile an hour fastballs can pitch the seventh inning. Uh, Piomps or Milner can pitch the eighth inning depending on who's coming up. Maybe it's three straight righties, you go to Piomps. Maybe it's three straight lefties, you go to Milner. The, they can handle leverage, no problem, but I love Hobie and his ability to get out of inherited runner champs. Devin's got the ninth. That, that's like our least bit of concern. And I'm not even going to entertain the thoughts of trading him until the Brewers underperform or something crazy happens between now and, say, the end of May. Okay? And, and a reminder, it's a long season. And to look back, I'm going to go ahead and pull up what the Brewers were. Remember, they got swept at home by the Oakland A's. Then they got swept in a two-game series in Minnesota. It was rock bottom. It was the lowest. It was the longest losing streak of the year. It was their low point in record. They were at 34 and 34. They were never below 500 again the rest of the season. They went on a good stretch there in mid-June and got things going. But looking on May 31st, the Brewers were 29 and 26, and in mid-June they were 500. Let's not all hit the panic button because we all know what happened in August when they got things really hot after that Dodgers series, sweeping the Rangers at their place, coming back home, and just starting to be gangbusters with the additions of Carlos Santana and Mark Canna. But let me just give you, I mean, the bullpen had Peter Strzelecki, Julio Tehran was still making starts at the Brewers in May. So much changes from near the, once you were approaching the trade deadline to after that, I refuse to hit the panic button in May. Now, if the Brewers are like 10 games under 500 for some reason in June, we're going to revisit this conversation. Be like, what went wrong? And you could probably expect some trades and Devin Williams could be looking around and things of that nature. But Devin Williams is signed for two years. You don't have to go through arbitration again next year, which also makes him desirable for another team. But again, I'm not talking about Devin getting traded right now. He is the ninth inning. He's one of the best closers in baseball. He's the best closer in baseball, according to MLB Network in their top 10 in by position right now. Uh, they have him ranked ahead of Josh Hader in the top 100. Now Edwin Diaz is coming back healthy this year too, so I'm intrigued to see what he's going to look like. But the hierarchy of the best closers in baseball it is between Diaz, Hayter, and Williams. And that's some pretty nasty stuff to say 
as I've said over and over and over and over again during the season. The Brewers going from one generational closer in Josh Hader to another in Devin Williams is not normal. Tier one closers, guys that every team would love to have, enjoy it. Just enjoy it, man. It is really fun to watch Devin Williams pitch. But it comes back to my thought and kind of my criticism of the Cardinals. How do you get it to Devin? Who are you going to use? Now, the Brewers have much more bullpen depth than the Cardinals do, but the Cardinals have a little more starting pitching depth than the Brewers do. So it's a a difference in opinion of how you're going to get those 27 outs, but the point is you got to get 27 outs. And we're heading closer and closer to the era of, hey, you get six outs, and this guy's going to get four outs, and this guy's going to get three outs, and this guy's going to get three outs. We're getting closer to that era. I know it stinks, and I know fans don't want to see a million pitching changes a game, but... We're getting closer, and the Brewers might be one of those teams that are sort of looking a little bit like that. I'm not saying they're going all in on openers and things of that nature. They've done it before, but they're getting closer to just kind of picking, like, okay, you get these three outs, and you've done your job. Get out of there. So be ready for that. Maybe we'll learn more coming up in the next few weeks in spring training. Okay, so we've got the arms, just kind of a little preview of what to look out for. What about the guys behind the plate? They made a move last week with Gary Sanchez that's not official yet. But we'll find out more here soon. Uh, Take a breather. Come back with more talk about the guys behind the plate putting on the gear on Brewers Weekly. Back with more Brewers Weekly after Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Let me talk about the catchers now. I'm Dominic Catronio. Welcome back on WTMJ. If you're listening live, this is a pre-recorded version of Brewers Weekly. So no text line, no call line here tonight. But... You can always find it on podcast feeds at Brewers uh, Weekly, wherever you get your podcast, or excuse me, Brewers All Access. Brewers Weekly is the show. Brewers All Access is the podcast feed. And during the season, you'll get Brewers 360, which is on Wisconsin's Morning News every morning. Uh, You'll hear Pat Murphy. You'll hear Adam McAlvey. And let me take a quick sidebar uh, at the end of the show about Adam, and you may have seen the news this week. That'll come up uh, after this segment on Catchers. So I, just, I don't want to take too long here because, again, the Sanchez deal is reported. Still waiting on that corresponding move as of one twenty-five in the afternoon when I'm recording this. Maybe you'll know by the time you're listening to this here tonight, but he is not officially on the roster yet. But when he is, it, it seems, seems that Eric Haas will be off the 40-man roster or... He'll be on the roster and waiting until the day comes, and then he would be cut or released or whatever the Brewers decide to do with him because it's a major league deal. They don't need three catchers. They made it all through last season without three catchers. Didn't see that happen. They've also got Austin Nola in as a non-roster invitee. Uh, Again, Jefferson Caro is on the 40-man, but I don't expect him to break camp with the Brewers by any stretch of the imagination. When I see Sanchez... Look, I mean, Contreras is your your primary. I, I see Contreras maybe catching a few more games this year than he did last year, making sure he can handle it, right? So last season, he played in 141 games total. That includes DHing, that includes coming off the bench. He caught 108 games last season. That was the most he's caught in the big leagues. However, he has in the past been a quote-unquote everyday catcher in the minor leagues. 2018, though, he only caught 63 games between two levels. 2019, he caught 96 games between two levels. So 
Last year was the most games he has ever caught in a single season, but he has caught a full season behind the plate in the minor league. So they want to make sure his body bounces back. Well, I would expect somewhere in the 115 to 120 range for games caught by William Contreras and then Gary Sanchez, assuming he gets signed and that gets finalized, would catch the remainder of those. Last year, Sanchez for the Padres caught, started 56 games. So you you line that up perfectly. Let's say that Contreras catches uh, 106 games, that would be, right? Yeah, 106 games. And that gives Sanchez the same amount of games behind the plate, 56. I, I Let's go ahead and call it, just for ease of numbers, 112 and 50. I could see that happening. I could totally see that happening. And then Gary is going to be DHing for the other games that he's not in there, uh, for the games that he is going to be facing lefties or days that Reese needs a breather or, you know, Reese will be the DH and maybe somebody else plays first base or you get creative with how you use that DH spot because now you've got some thump all of a sudden, you know, I mean, Gary last year, very quietly, a 113 OPS plus means he was 13 points above league average, a 492 slugging. I said it last week, he hits dingers. And if you're going to get 300 or so plate appearances out of him, you would hope for at least 20 homers. I mean, why why wouldn't you expect that? As for William, I hope he gets over 20 home runs this season. He's learning to pull the ball again. You know, he, he had a relatively high ground ball rate, 55%. Would love to see that drop a little bit and elevate a little more. He had 20 homers with the Braves in 22. He had 17 last year. It's all about the offense of what the guys behind the plate are going to produce. So quick little... Catch your preview. I want to wrap up the show briefly after this with a note to our good friend Adam McAlvey on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. So I've got 50 seconds left. Five. Let me jump into this here real quick. Uh, in case you missed the news yesterday, and if you've been following the Brewers for a long time, you certainly know the name. Adam McAlvey. Adam, of course, the beat reporter for the Brewers for MLB.com. He's been doing it for a very long time, since the dot-com boom, really. And one of the nicest dudes in the business and on the beat. Unfortunately, he's going to be missing some time due to some eye issues, losing some vision. It's a very scary situation, but it sounds like he's on the up and up. Adam, really thinking about you, my friend. I'm going to miss you down at spring training. Uh, please keep me safe from Todd Rosiak from afar. I'm just kidding. Todd's great, too. But uh, sending all the positivity to Adam McAlvey in a speedy recovery. And can't wait to see you at the ballpark again, my friend. And uh, next time we talk, we'll be in Arizona. So thank you for listening. Until next time, keep on swinging.